fascinating gadgets, gizmos, and gear-based technologies. Welcome to Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies. Now, this is the show that takes your favorite fictional science and technology. We make it a reality. Now, who does that? We do. We are the Brain Trust. I am the analytical mastermind, Daniel J. Glenn. With me, the physics phenom, Dr. Michael Dennett. Great to be here, Dan. This is a week where I take the you very personally because this is one of uh, my famous suggestions. So I'm hoping we actually make it a reality. Well, I hope so too. And not only are we going to make it a reality, we're going to talk not only about your suggestion, but some great quotes here because you structured this episode. But again, let's not get ahead of ourselves because we have to talk to our enigmatic engineer, Ben Siebser. Ben, where are you broadcasting from this week? Dan, today I found myself in this underground excavation. There's this beautiful blue glowing structure behind me, and there's this feeling of intense power in this room, and I cannot wait until we figure out what is going on down here. Well, it's possible that my aura is making you. That's the intense power that you're feeling here, Ben. Uh, but we're going to <laughs> we're gonna verify that as the show goes. But as we hinted to before... Denon, you suggested this episode, and I believe it's inspired by the HBO show The Nevers. And, you know, basically, let's I'm going to let you frame it. What was it about this show that you really wanted? What's the heart of the matter, the meat that you wanted to dissect on this? Well, well, the key core question here is, you know, wouldn't it be cool if superpowers were delivered in the real way we expect genetic mutations to be and that they're not all super? Like, why do all mutations have to be super? That's that's what happens in comic books and TV shows. And I get it. It makes for a better story than if people can't do anything or they just die. Right. Those right. would be problematic mutations. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I thought right. this show did an awesome job of taking the the degree to which mutations are random. And I know we're going to debate that. Stay tuned. But, you know, taking the idea that not all mutations are great, seriously, and what are the implications of that? That was the heart of the show that I really loved. Well, I mean, it's it's an interesting point of, A, our power, what would it look like with real random powers? But the thing that I kind of liked about it is it's more of like the potent power potential, right? Like there's this great comic book series called Rising Stars, and in it, people in utero during a specific time are given, are given superpowers. And the degree... The degree of power, the degree of usefulness of the power kind of varied, and it was, in a sense, random. But what made that show so interesting, and I think in a lot of ways some of the pieces we're going to get to in this show, what makes it interesting to me is that what do you do with that power? You know, even if it's limited, even if it's silly, how do you, for lack of a better term, either weaponize it or use it for the greater good or the greater ill? Uh, that's what I really liked about that. Can, and can you live up to your potential? What if you got a great power that you just didn't use very well? Uh, I think these were. this was really what was interesting to me about it. Um, now, Ben, as the guy who's creating inventions, you are realizing the potential of all kinds of theories. What did you see when you watched this? Well, I think what it really comes down to, you know, to take another comic book trope out of here is, uh, you know, with great power comes great responsibility, Dan. Mm -hmm. You know, 
some a lot of these uh, folks in this show have lived up to the power they've received and are trying to do good and helping others with their power and trying to help society as a whole with their power. But unfortunately, there's the others who have not magic or not, you know, mut mutation power, but money power and capitalist power. And they seem to be misusing that great power. And, you know, it comes it, it's a great story of the you know, the lower class who's been given this chance uh, to fight, but they have to fight against these forces that are already entrenched. You know what, Ben, you just, you said something that really struck me there, and I'm going to go back to your quote, with great power comes great responsibility. Combine that with what Dan said. That's yes, my quote. Yeah, it's definitely <laughs> your quote. I'm giving you full yeah. credit for it, Ben. Never heard it before today. <laughs> Never That's heard exactly it before. Right. But yeah. I, I think what I, I, I'd like to offer a friendly amendment, as they say, um, with any power, comes great responsibility, you know, mm. big or small. Because, Dan, to your point, I agree. There are people in this show who are given what looks on the surface to be sort of, oh, frivolous or not useful powers, and they mm -hmm. do great things with it when they really harness their own creativity. And it mm -hmm. just goes to show that it's not just the superpower. It's the human creativity behind it, which is why we all know Spider-Man is the best superhero. Oh, without question. I don't know if that's the reason why, because I think he's got some pretty obvious superpowers that are hard to, you don't really have to find clever ways to use super strength and climbing on walls. And, you know, the, the web shooters are a whole different issue. Uh, but, you know, yeah, Ben, do you have something well, to say about web know. shooters? I, I think, well, I, well, being smart enough to build the web shooters is its own thing. Or if we go with ultimate, you know, you know, he gets the natural spider, but... I think, you know, there's a lot of non-great things Spider-Man could be doing with, with those powers. You know, he could be sneaking into lines at the roller coaster park and, you know, <laughs> cutting the lines. You know, there's all sorts of nefarious things you could be doing with walking on walls. So I think we still got to give Peter Parker some credit for doing the right thing with those powers, Dan. Well, I don't want anyone to get the, the be misrepresented in my my statements here. I'm not besmirching the good name of Peter Parker or Spider Man. Uh, he's he's clearly one of my top, easily my favorite superhero. Definitely a top three. Uh, mix in Batman, uh, you know, stick him in there as well. Uh, but you know, we're we're talking about these random superpowers, and what I think is interesting and kind of a new thing in this show is that the way people get their superpowers is this creature or ship or something flies over Victorian London and sprinkles the air with this dust. And as this dust, these, this dust touches people, they be, they develop some sort of mutation power, whatever you want to call it. Right. I mean, really a superpower is just, um, you know, it's a spin, right? I mean, it's a marketing spin on a mutation or an ability, right? I mean, is it a superpower? I don't know. Is it not? Who knows? Right. Uh, but I, I like this cause it's random. Who gets it is random. Uh, whoever's out at that particular point. But I have to tell you, I want to, before we talk about that, this, this, the sprinkling over the city gave me an image of something else that gave superpower, and that's radioactive fallout. This looked like if a nuclear bomb had gone off, the ash that would sprinkle down from the heavens and touch people, you know, in the Marvel days, that radioactive ash would give people superpowers. And, you know, now we know a little strontium 90, a little cesium 134, 137, iodine 131. Is that what's in these particles? I don't know, but we know today that that type of ash would not give us superpowers unless you consider melting from the inside out to be a superpower well dan i disagree with you just slightly um what's nice about the ash is the radiation levels could be low enough that it doesn't melt you it does cause a mutation 
Um, but you're right. It's a very uncontrolled mutation. Basically, radiation is going to break chemical bonds in your DNA in random spots that may or may not allow you to still be alive. Right. And the odds are <laughs> you, you are right. The odds are you're going to yeah. die. I mean, that was yeah. always the problem with radiation as a source of superpower. In my head, you used a phrase, I think you used this phrase, Dan, I could have imagined it, but I believe you may have used the word spores here at some point for the uh, lights yeah, coming so. down. Right? I don't know. I think I said sprinkle, but spores are what I had in mind. Maybe yeah. you were reading my mind. Maybe I, you've been touched by a spore, Dan, and you read my I, mind. I That's what I thought. And what I love about the image of spores is that it, it really crosses over to what we know about controlled mutation. These spores mm -hmm. could be ca carrying retroviruses. That are not radio, they're not radioactive. They're little pods for transporting these retroviruses that go in and purposely adjust your DNA. Those have a mm. much greater chance of making a successful mutation that doesn't kill you, though that could still happen. It, it certainly could kill you, but I, I like that you brought this up, Dan, because this is really the perfect way to give beneficial genes to humans that give them these amazing powers. We've this is how we've done genetically modified organisms for the past decades where we've you know put say vitamin a genes into plants that don't normally produce vitamin a you know but instead here we've put somehow we figured out the gene for generating fire with your hands and <laughs> mm -hmm. and that has now it's a, it's in this retrovirus and it gets into your uh ge genetic code somehow uh i love it <laughs> i mean i think it's it's a great idea and i love that as a delivery method but there are, you know, if we could find that fire generating power, you would think that there would be more people with fire generating power, right? In this show, people seem to have, uh, you know, a multitude of different transformations. I, I, I don't know if I want to use the word superpower here, guys, because I think I've convinced myself that I'm not sure these are all superpowers. They're definitely changes, alterations, um, mutations even. But I don't know if they're superpowers. But I think that they are. There is a, a random nature to them. And I think that that's actually what makes this interesting. But this is, you know, I, I want to talk about something. Uh, you know, in one of my previous episodes uh, of Fascinating Nouns, I spoke with a guy who was, you know, we talked about how uh, the human body, as it's evolved, is really not the most efficient way uh, to design a human body. Like our eyes are, are weird, our our limbs are kind of strange. Um, but you know, one of the things Speak we talked about. Speak for yourself, about, Dad. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just talking about myself here. Fair enough. Uh, but what, what was interesting about it is I had this conversation with him about mutations being random and he was insistent that they are 100% random roulette wheel random right uh, and, and, and you know we, that roulette wheels aren't 100% random but my point here is that there was this great article I'm going to put it on the website where these Israeli scientists proved that genetic mutations are not 100% random and are in fact based on environmental pressures. And uh, that was really interesting to me because what it tells you is that our body does adapt. And this was what I postulated when I was talking to him. And I'm only trying to display my genius here, guys, in front of two other geniuses because I always felt that the human body and evolution was much more directed. And I think we see that here. And to me, that is the quintessential takeaway from the Nevers, in my personal opinion, when it comes to superpowers and the random nature. Well, you know, it's interesting because what happens here, Dan, is, you know, science and language don't always go together well, right? So I, I love the analogy to the random roulette wheel, which, as you said, is not always random. I think it really depends on the casino you go to, um, how trustworthy <laughs> that is. Uh, yeah, who's running it? What family the ones you go to are really random. <laughs> um, right, yeah. 
you know. But but there there's two aspects of of evolution, and and randomness comes in in some ways in different ways. You know, one is there there's what's actually causing your genetic material to change, right? Mm-hmm. And there is definitely an element of randomness there. It's not like there is a machine coming in and picking which gene to change. There's a lot of chemistry. There's a lot of environmental conditions. And to your point, Dan, some of those can pick and favor certain mutations over others. So it's not like it's a sort of even coin. It's definitely a weighted coin. One side's weighted more than the other. And you have corrective mechanisms that correct some things and not others. And then once you get your mutation, you know, there's the whole selecting pressure on that mutation, right? If it's a bad mutation, you don't get to reproduce and it goes away. And if it's a good mutation, it stays. So... There's a big space between the word random, really random, slightly random, and what I would call fully designed. And, and evolution is not fully designed, but there definitely is a direction to it, in my, my, in my humble opinion, as a fellow genius on the show. Well, uh, I want to say, before you st- pop in here, Ben, I have to stick in one little piece of genius here because I think I have a new T-shirt, and that is, evolution is a game of chance using weighted dice. I love that. That, that, is, that is utterly brilliant. It's going on a T-shirt. Anyway, sorry, Ben. I had to stick that in there. Uh, what do you have to say here? Yeah, well, it, it's exactly, it's somewhat how that paper talks about. It, it's the actual individual mutations, as I understand them from that paper, are still random. But there's this pressure that comes from our actual evolution that allows certain area parts of our genetic code to receive more mutations than other ones. And it, and even then, on top of that, with this paper, what was really interesting is that stratified across different populations on the Earth, certain people, certain people have evolved that their uh, different parts of their body to have more mutations than people from other parts of the world. So, and but that just comes down to having a genetic code that is more robust to mutations, such that when uh, offspring with that mutation happen, they won't just die right away. You know, that's yeah. really interesting. I like that. And really, it, it draws putting those two together, Dan, raises mm-hmm. the question of, is my mug going to evolve to a new mug with the better <laughs> quote on it? You know, I, or, or, or is the mug static? I'm just throwing that out there. Now, you might wonder where this mug came from. Right. And I think, you know, it came from yeah. the FGGBT merch store. So I'm going to look <laughs> yeah. for evolution yeah. of mug quotes in the future. Well, if you want to start out with a T-shirt, you know, I just said that. I'm going to say that quote again. Evolution is a game of chance using weighted dice. But until that becomes available, you can always find the technology. Biology is nature's technology. Uh, You can buy these shirts, fgggbt.com backslash merch. And Ben, I think you drink out of something very fancy now, don't you? Yeah. Well, you know, if you want to evolve past the usage of a mug, you also have these beautiful green screen reflecting uh, water water bottles <laughs> that you can uh, enjoy your and hydrate with. Uh, yeah. And we all know hydration is the key to evolution because if you don't hydrate, you won't have offspring and you won't have evolution. <laughs> you, you won't have life and therefore you won't have offspring and therefore you won't evolve. Uh, it's it's ju- This is just math. This is just science, guys. Go to the store at triplegbt.com backslash merch. But getting back to, you know, evolution, one of the other things that's kind of interesting here is that these these abilities seem to be, they're not exclude. they're not, they show up more in females than males. And this is, it's not exclusive, um, but there definitely is a weighted difference. 
sequence. And it seems to me that there there must be some connection to the X chromosome here. Uh, and I found that to be kind of fascinating when it comes to these abilities. Um, you know, really quickly, is there any kind of, I know that we do have, you know, different, uh, different genetic mutations that occur because of, you know, d- two X chromosomes. But th- does this seem like you could have a myriad ways of evolution through just having the X chromosome be involved? So on the on the general concept, yes, probably Dan. I mean that's obviously a, a space where things can happen. Um, in fact, we did a whole show about a fake apocalypse, right, where all the men die, um, mm-hmm. uh, right. based on this and based on <laughs> chromosomes. Sure. Um, but you know, I think in this case, what fascinates me, I'm not I'm not disagreeing with you, Dan. But I'm going to throw out a different theory. Okay. Um, you know, what fascinates me is it's taking place in Victorian England, um, and we we do know that we have to be really careful with our, our sort of medical studies and so on, not to let some subtle biases show up that have nothing to do with biology. Mm-hmm. And, and I do wonder, right, like in the middle of the day in Victoria and London, I don't think these spores made it through buildings, for instance. So the majority of people out walking about seem to be women, number one. Um, the right. men are okay. inside working. Right. Or in chimney sweeping. Right? Or in chimney sweep, right. Um, <laughs> and, and the other piece of it, of course, is the people who you're noticing are the people who have the most pressure to not be different. And again, the social mm. pressures in society, I think it was easier for men to hide if they had a power. Or if they did, you know, it wasn't questioned as much. Because right, you were all hanging out in those all-male clubs, and who knows what was going on there. And if you were showing powers, it was just eccentric old Dan, you know? There he is doing his thing again. But if a <laughs> right. woman shows up with eccentric power, she's a witch. I mean, right. I know we don't have many witch burnings in the 1800s, but it's still there in the back of people's minds. So I think I view this more as a social selection process for the, for the show and the society rather than a biological one, though it could have been biological. I'm not ruling that out. I don't know. Dan, are you, are you on the side of biology, sociology, or was it engineering that the spaceship picked women? I think it's a great question because when I was when you were talking, I was thinking to myself, this is a pressure situation. But like that paper said, it's an environmental pressure situation because essentially you have women were a disenfranchised group back then. They didn't have political power. They didn't have, you know, monetary power. Uh, they were walking around, you know, buying bread and building the house. And they, so they had that environmental pressure to develop powers to, you know, overthrow the patriarchy. I, I don't know. Uh, but I feel like they had, there was there were there were those environmental pressures, like that paper said, that helped them develop those mutations quicker to develop powers differently and at higher rate. That's my theory. Well, but we know from the show that the only the two men we know who did were touched, they hide they hide their power. They hide right. their turn, as it's called in the show. Mm-hmm. You know, Augie doesn't tell anyone that he has this power of, you know, speaking with animals or whatever. I think it's just birds. With it. Yeah, it's birds. Bird, I think. Yeah, birds. And the doctor he just pretends to be, he's just a really good doctor now and he doesn't let on that he's doing it with his magical new powers. So actually, I wondered if the doctor just got a Star Trek tricorder by accident and was using that. That's what his power looked like. <laughs> sure did, yeah. Dan, that, that raises an interesting point. Did technology come back, come with this touch thing or is it really just this evolution? I mean, we just see these people getting this power, but you know, maybe there's some technology stuff too because- Clearly, Penance, her power of, you know, being a better engineer, you know, maybe she got some insights into future technology as well from this uh, power. You know, we see Amalia having being able to see the future. Oh, she could have stole those visions. 
Yeah, well, there's a couple problems with that. Number one, I'm going to take issue with Penance being a good engineer. Uh, number two, <laughs> uh, I don't think Amalia really sees, she sees like seconds into the future. Uh, well, which well, is, which minutes is, are up to 24 hours. it's like hours. minutes or hours. To, maybe, yeah. maybe. Well, let, let's let's hit them <laughs> later on, because I want to get a couple of the easy ones here first. So, you know, there's the girl who's 10 feet tall, right? Um, this is mm-hmm. kind of interesting because we this is not that far off from what we have. Here are a couple of the records. Right now, there's a woman in Turkey who's just over seven feet tall. Uh, there's a, the tallest ev- female ever was from China at eight inches, uh, eight inches, <laughs> eight feet, eight feet, <laughs> one inch tall. I, I feel like uh, you're building Stonehenge for, um, <laughs> yeah, all right. Yeah. But here's the kicker. The tallest man ever was a guy named Robert Wadlow, who was eight feet, 11 inches, almost nine feet tall. That's only a foot away. So to me, the, the amazing thing is that the the girl in this show kind of stops at 10 feet. She doesn't get any bigger, but she seems to be relatively normal, normal proportions. And I think that's the key. You know, we talked about our Godzilla versus King Kong. What do the, what do, you know, bipedal structures look like when they're much, much bigger? Uh, is the weight, you know, as, as things get bigger, the weight gets more condensed or there's, there's some formula here that Denon's going to tell us in a second. Uh, but, you know, I think that this is possible. This isn't outside the realm of possibility. Like, like some of the other powers. Oh, definitely not. I mean, I think this is well within our, our physical structures. We we know, Dan, what I think you're referring to is that, you know, the strength of our bones go as the area, um, right. whereas yep. our weight and, de- you know, goes as the volume because it's a density thing. But, you know, 10 feet is, I think, well within the realm of possibility. Um, you know, you, you run into various issues if you get too tall of having to pump the blood. You've got blood pressure issues. Um, if you get too massive, you've got bones breaking. That's why I think the dinosaurs switch over to four feet instead of two mm-hmm. um, when they get big enough. But just the, the mere fact of you can, for instance, take the dinosaurs and look at how big they've gotten. You know, take other animals that are, you know, bigger than us. And this is not insane. That's what I love about it. It's well within um, physical reason. Um, and it's interesting to just see a child struggle with that extreme size. I think the real concern is, is she going to keep growing as she gets older? Because like we said, 10 feet is not outside the realm of possibility. But if if we go by proportional to her age, she should grow another, I don't know, 50% or so. So does she end up as a 15 foot tall adult? And then I think we do start having those problems of with the square cube law where you know, her bones aren't going to be thick enough. Her muscles aren't going to be thick enough. Her heart's not going to be large enough to pump the blood. You know, that's when you start really getting to these problems. Yeah, and Robert Ludlow, uh, Wadlow, what was interesting about him is he never stopped growing. He died, at, unfortunately, at 22, but he was continuing to grow up until up until his death. Uh, but, you know, one of the other people that I think is probably overlooked as being touched, and there's a real scientific basis behind this, is uh, Desiree, the diva of desire. Uh, she <laughs> is really interesting because she's, she, so in the show, she's a prostitute who, when she's, when people are around her, and when they're especially worked up as as we find out people open up to her they tell her the truth they reveal their secrets well this uh, there's a, a great uh, a great article i'm going to put on the website that just just published a couple days ago that says that there's truth to this that when human beings uh, you know when they're sexually aroused tend to reveal their secrets more i mean this is there's scientific fact behind this so in a sense her ability is really just you know it's it's taking what already exists and just amplifying it significantly and i don't think once again again, this is outside the realm of possibility. 
No, I'm with you, Dan. I don't think it is. And it goes back to something we've talked a lot about on our shows is just how complicated the brain really is. And there's a lot of things about it we still don't really know, um, largely from a, you know, a chemical point of view, but how the chemicals not only interact internally, but you know, as we breathe in various chemicals, you know, we like to talk about pheromones. Pheromones, the word I can't pronounce a lot. You know, pheromones. I'm trying again. I try every time. You know, pheromones are little guys, ref little referees. Those are little referees that yeah, come yeah. around. Right. But you've got external chemicals affecting the brain. You've got internal chemicals affecting the brain. Um, and it really is an, an, an interesting space to draw upon. And you know, just that sense of I think people like to share their stories. We don't like to hold it in, um, mm -hmm. but it's it's finding that right moment to actually really let it um, you know, come out and be shared with someone. So I agree with you. This is another power that doesn't really surprise me. Uh, what may surprise me is how much Ben can talk about it because I know the brain is you know proprietary information <laughs> for him. But you know, we'll see. He might add to it. Yeah. Well, I, I do want to say Desiree is one of my favorite uh, characters and powers from this show because it is such a realistic power. We all know, we, I'm sure we've all, even in our own lives, uh, met people who we've just wanted to open up to, whether because of being excited or because of just finding them very trustworthy. You know, some people have this aura, this sense that they can be trusted, that they are worthy of knowing your secrets and will keep them secret for you. And whether I think like Denon brought up, there's pheromones involved, but there's also just an attitude like Desiree seems very trustworthy. She seems like someone who you'll you want to open up to. And I, it's not that crazy a power. I don't even really think you need to mutate much <laughs> to uh, to get get that kind of sense. You know, maybe she just needs to put on some you know, a different perfume and she wouldn't even need the, the, the spore thing infecting her and giving her this power. Well, I think, you know, I think the key to this is, is partly what you were saying, Denon. There, there's, it's the cocktail of chemicals in your brain that changes how you think and therefore, you know, what you say. Um, but, you know, to your point, Ben, a lot of people seem trustworthy. And during the Cold War, some of the best spies were female. How did they get their information? just like this. Now I'm saying that with an air of authority, spies are notoriously, all that stuff is kept secret. They are clandestine. So, uh, but there are <laughs> books were written about female spies who were able to do this. So there is some information out there for those people saying there's no way I could know that. But I think, you know, uh, it's really, it's an interesting power. One of my favorites, um, but there's two others I want to talk about, but we, you know, we talked about Amelia and, you know, I, I think she can only see a couple seconds into the future. What What is good about this, what's cool about it, is it's it's enough time for her to alter her actions and to change the immediate future. It's almost like a spidey sense, you know, or an advan an in advanced gut feeling uh, with, you know, pictures to go along with it that she can use to avoid danger. But there's no real, you can't use it for any long-term planning, I don't think, uh, unless I'm wrong. So I'm not saying I wouldn't want the power, but I'm not... 100% sure that it's oh, such a great power, and I'm not sure Amelia uses it to its full potential. I don't know. What do you guys think? I'm just really confused, Dan, because okay. she clearly sees herself at the opera more than a few seconds away because she goes, we're going to the opera tonight after her vision of being at the opera. And there's a couple of others that are clearly, you know, they're not months and weeks in advance. They're they're sort of at the at the day time scale. So I, I, I think, I, I don't, I'm not sure where you're, now, now let's face it. 
a day is still a certain number of seconds. So you could be right. That's true. That's true. <laughs> I mean, can't argue with I that. Mean, there is, there is, you know, your statement was safe from that perspective. Um, what I think is is harder about her power um, to make super useful is it's unclear if she can control it at all. Because mm-hmm. you're exactly right. Like as a Spidey sense, going into a dangerous situation. Um, I would love to be able to know, you know, do I need to duck? Is someone about to shoot at me? Is someone about to stab me? These are the questions you always have when walking into that dark, dangerous situation, which you really shouldn't. Um, whether or not you need to show up at the opera later in the day uh, seems less less relevant to immediate situations. But she did get useful information from going to the opera. So, yeah. you know, it, 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 I, I, the randomness of the power is what makes it questionably useful to me. Yeah, what um, triggers I, it is what you're saying. What yeah, triggers it? Yeah. It's, it's unclear. Yeah. Maybe we'll learn more about how it actually works as the show goes on. But you're right. I find it a fascinating question as to where is the true value of this power, given its randomness. Well, I- well, certainly the randomness is a problem because Amalia doesn't always get information when she needs it. But when she does get it, it allows her being, you know, kind of the fighter, fighty punchy <laughs> member of the group. You know, it allows her to not be surprised, which I think is one of the biggest things for her is she's able to be at the ready when she knows she's going to be attacked. She's still going to get attacked. She knows she's going to get attacked. But she's at least, you know, she's got her her senses up. She's got her reflexes ready to go. Whereas someone who doesn't know they're about to be attacked is isn't is going to be in a lot more trouble than she would be. Oh, and since we're quoting so many people, that information is vital, Ben, because as Mike Tyson tells us, we all have a plan until we get punched in the face. And if you know when you're going to get punched in the face, your plan lasts a little bit longer, uh, which is which is <laughs> exactly. which is vital. Uh, so- or- or you can plan for being punched in the face. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it helps is what I'm saying. It, it, helps, it helps, you know, when you get hit. Uh, but the other power here that uh, this is to me the most clever power in this, and it kind of changes the genre. You know, we talk about, you know, we talked about cyberpunk and we're going to do an episode on steampunk. But this show is really Tesla punk, right? I mean, it's it shows it's a show about what if Tesla's energy, free energy, unlimited energy, battery technology was available because penance seems to be able, she describes her power as being able to see where the energy goes. Now that's, it's a little vague, but I feel like if we, someone had that power, and I'm going to argue that I don't think she's a great engineer. I think she just happens to have an, an incredible talent that she harnesses relatively well given her time period. But to me, this is the most clever, but I'm not sure how you see energy. And then truthfully, if I could see energy, you know, I'm giving her a hard time, but I don't know that I know what to do with it if I could see it in the first place. So, <laughs> you Well, know. Dan, I want to go, you know, before I answer your question about seeing energy, I want to actually go back to something you said earlier in that statement about the time period in the Victorian area, I think this is one of the great brilliances of this show is to put it in the Victorian era because to me that is the moment in history where we kind of made that decision as a society whether we were going to be steam-based, AC electricity-based, or DC electricity-based. There was a lot that was going on in society. And, And in fact, you know, we had just plumbed all the houses for gas, Um, There was a sense of maybe we would use water power to just power everything in houses and electricity one and a particular type of electricity one. Um, Because as you mentioned, we had Tesla, you know, going against other people and the different ways of generating electricity and how to use it. So I love that they picked the Victorian era for exactly this reason is it really was this amazing time sort of engineering wise and scientific wise 
And I also always have felt that the 1800s was a time where society in general was way more interested in science and way more up to date on the daily science mm -hmm. than we are today, right? So that a random person like Pennant suddenly able to see energy right. was probably well sort of more aware of this potential of what science could do than say the average person on the street today, despite our science being more advanced now. It's an interesting conundrum. And that's what I love about putting this in the Victorian era and giving penance this power. So um, I know that wasn't your original question. I like your original question. I think she's an amazing <laughs> engineer, but I'm gonna turn it over to, to Ben for the engineer side. But I just had to get in my pitch for the Victorian era moment of confluence as we chose our future as humanity. Well, and arguably before you start, Ben, that was an energy revolution. We talk about not having an energy revolution, but that kind of was not unlimited energy like Tesla predicted, but it was an energy revolution nonetheless. Well, I, I first will give a give the complaint. We still, in some ways, are a steam-powered society. We just keep the steam in the power plants to spin turbines. But yeah, nuclear steam. We, we've or discussed nuclear that steam. before. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, nuclear steam, gas steam, yeah. oil steam, coal steam. It's all steam right. when you get down to it, except for the solar panels and the, the windmills and the dams. But what's really interesting about this is I, I think we also have to think about you know, back in Victorian era, there wasn't really engineering school yet. There certainly wasn't electricity and magne magnetism engineering school or electricity and magnetism textbooks yet. And certainly uh, Penance would not have been able to get those books and been able to read them herself. She wouldn't have got, been able to go to engineering school. Uh, so you have this question of being able to see how the energy is working gives you an insight that nowadays people who've gone to engineering school kind of just know what the electricity is going to do because we've now learned a lot about how electricity works. But back then, no one really knew how it works. Certainly the average person didn't know how it works. They didn't know about uh, electricity flowing from higher potentials to lower potentials and what will occur when it goes through different objects. And so this, this site she has allows her to experiment with the energy in a way that uh, that you would otherwise need to learn from textbooks that probably aren't written yet. I, I love that. And, and Dan, you know, something else here that, that Ben is pointing to is, you know, there probably wasn't a context um, for her to maybe talk about what she was seeing or experiencing. So obviously the phrase seeing the energy was probably the closest she could come. Right. But what I really, really like about it is the whole point of any machine really is to move energy from one place to another or to change the form of the energy, right? We're, we're, as we said, we're turning steam to electricity or we're turning rotation into translation or linear motion into rotating motion or the other way around. And those are just different forms of energy moving from one place to the other. So that's these are the sort of things that I find fun is when a show really captures the essence of physics in such a succinct and clean way. Because you know me, I can't be succinct and clean. So I really get jealous <laughs> when people are. <laughs> that, that, is, that is very true. And what's really good for Penance is she's inventing electric motors right at the beginning of everything in a way that people ha wouldn't have really hadn't really theorized yet during the Victorian era. So being able to see that energy and understanding if you put it through a turbine, put it through this, these coils with magnets and being able to see that and be able to create these electric motors, like that's, that's, that's crazy stuff. That is very advanced for the time. And 
you know, yeah, she doesn't always get it right because she doesn't have textbooks of <laughs> people saying, here's how you make a motor that doesn't blow up or doesn't catch fire or is efficient. You know, she doesn't get to stand on the shoulders of 100 years of invention like we do today. So, of course, she's not a perfect engineer. She's she's the first one. She's the one doing all the inventing. Yeah. I don't know if she's the first engineer, but but she's definitely one of uh, the first. She's one of the first. Well, I mean, you know, civilization existed for hundreds of thousands of years before penance. Well, one um, of the first electrical engineers. Okay. Well, we're getting that? Now we're, we're whittling it down, whittling it down. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, speaking of electrical engineers, I mean, Ben, I, I don't want to out you, but you're an electrical engineer how i am an electrical engineer. how much better would you be if the theory of where electricity goes was replaced with the ability to see where electricity goes those are two very different things right and i think what makes her so great is that she's able to do clean energy because you know when you're talking about turbines and, and steam we're just making uh, w- w- basically they're trying to make something that they don't 100 know how to use but if you can see where that energy goes you know where where it's stored the best, how it's the best way to generate it. Um, if you know where it goes and you can store it and you can create batteries, well, now you can have that cool little car that she, she drives around with, the auto carriage, I mm-hmm. believe she's, she calls it. Now, this is arguably the only piece of equipment that she doesn't destroy, right? Like that's the clean one. Um, but when you talk about the other stuff, you know, she's got uh, this super fire extinguisher, right? It's not fair mm-hmm. because that's not really based on energy. You know, I mean, that it, that one is kind of a, you know, it, it works later on. It doesn't work up front. But I will say that she should have gotten that one right because that kind of was built on existing technology. Well, Dan, we know, first of all, it it is energy because the energy is the source of all things and all things are based on foam and that's making foam. Right. So by definition, (laughs) right, it it is it is the deepest, most powerful technology. And we know, right, foam is clearly challenging or someone of my great prowess wouldn't have to study it. Right. Um, So 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 the fact that she got anything right with foam is impressive to begin with. So I'm just throwing that out. That's a non sequitur. I have no idea what you asked. I just got distracted by the foam and got excited. Well, Well, foam is important. You're the first person to really understand foam. By Ben's logic, you are now the first engineer, right? I mean, I think you are the first, <laughs> well, the first true foam engineer. engineer. <laughs> right, right. The first true foam yeah. engineer. Uh, and I think that that's important. But I think it's also important to understand how fire extinguishers work and how you get that energy in there, right? Because in order to get the foam to come out, you first need to pressurize that vessel. So that means she's invented a compressor at some point to pressurize the fire extinguisher. And that's a motor, that's uh, uh, valves and all this other stuff to get that pressure into that container and build a valve that can contain it. So it's still energy. It's just a different form of converted energy like Dr. Denon was talking about earlier, where she's turned her electrical energy into a motor, into pressure to make a pressurized fire extinguisher. See, I knew the engineer could explain it, Ben. <laughs> well, it's true. The, the one thing, you know, of all of her inventions, the one that I don't understand, I mean, first of all, she's terrible at naming inventions. I think we can all agree on that. Um, but the, the, the spectrological, whatever she says, AKA the X-ray, I'm not 100% sure how she got that. Although I do have to say, I've had heavy criticism on penance in this episode so far. That one comes off pretty flawlessly and is very useful, but there's no GPS satellites. Where is she getting that image, and how is that working, and how are x-rays involved uh, as we close this up? I'm going to let Ben go with that first, Dan, Okay. Um, just because, just you know, it's, it's fun. Um, <laughs> but I will say this. 
you know, it, it, it really gets to the heart of, you know, radiation is another form of energy and figuring out how to get it to move. The satellite thing is tricky, but maybe she's using Amelia's power to see into the future. I don't know. I, lo- but I love that you're going to let it. Ben go first and then continued on with an explanation. That's an interesting <laughs> yeah, Exactly. That's me being concise. <laughs> well, you don't... You- I mean, you don't need satellite imagery to get overhead images. In fact, most of the, the most of the images we see on like Google Earth aren't satellite. They're from air, lower flying airplanes because you can get much better pictures from that. And we see her send a balloon up. So maybe, you know, maybe she had a camera on a balloon at one point to get some of these images going. Um, but the x-ray part, x-rays, you know, that's that's just more seen energy. Maybe she found, you know, an X-ray source. You know, she found some uh, spicy rocks, as as some people like to call them, sure. that are putting out those X-rays. And she's figured out that you can use them to send energy through things that normal optical light can't pr- penetrate. You know, her ability to see energy should hopefully extend to all uh, the entire electromagnetic spectrum, not just optical light. Maybe she can see those X-rays, and so she can tell that these rocks that put out radiation, uh, x-ray radiation, she can see them through walls, she can see them through bodies. And so, you know, it kind of makes sense that she's been able to figure that stuff out really early on. That makes sense. I mean, it makes sense to me. I just, that was a really cool thing to see. And we don't see an airplane or anything, but um, I, I, that's but a, a balloon, very useful. A balloon, Dan. A balloon. We do see a balloon. Do we see a balloon? I don't remember that, but I'm, yeah. I'm, that was much later on though, right? Yeah, it was much later on. Okay. It was later on, but that doesn't mean she didn't do it earlier. Okay, all right, all right, all right. All right, fair enough. Okay, (laughs) so she was, so she what, like up, she tied a bunch of balloons on herself and floated over the city with with x-ray generating rocks? Is that what we're saying? Is that what you guys are trying to tell me? Is that what you're trying to feed me here? Possibly, possibly. We might come up with a better answer soon, Dan. (laughs) Or she had someone hide x-ray rocks all over the place. And then went up to luck. That seems that seems that seems more plausible. Uh, but but either way, I mean, I think we can agree. Well, actually, Dan, we don't know. You know, for all we know, you know, we we should go back to the original radiation of the the blue dust that came off of the spaceship. Perhaps the entire city is covered in radioactive dust already, and she can see it. And that goes back to my analogy that uh, those were not spores, that radioactive material, like uh, some kind of nuclear fallout. I think it's possible, um, you know, but if you if someone else has an idea, if someone else can explain to me why Penance would strap a bunch of balloons to herself and fly over the city with uh, with radiation generating rocks, please let us know. Uh, we're easy to get a hold of. You can find the show on Twitter at FGGBTPod. We're on Facebook at FGGBT. Um, but before we do any of that, I realize we haven't done our errors, additions, and omissions section yet. So hang on to those Twitter addresses. But Denon, is there anything about the Nevers you wanted to talk about that we didn't quite get to? Well, you know, I think the fundamental thing for me is how much, it reminds me how much I love the Victorian era. And I really have so many mixed feelings about it. I think it would be awesome to live in until I think about the disease and the dirt um, and all the, the horse waste floating around in the streets. Um, so, you know, there's, there's a mixed feeling there. Um, you know, no air conditioning, no central air, unless maybe penance can make me an air conditioner. Yeah, yeah what, what are the selling points? I'm not 100% sure what they are. Well, but on the other hand, just that excitement around the scientific discovery of the mm-hmm. 1800s sure. really is, you know, it's, a, it's an amazing time um, for what was going on. And it does make me wonder, you know, as Ben alluded to, you know, how good would I be without all the textbooks and learning and advances that had happened? You know, this was cutting edge, fascinating, really world shattering stuff. Um, and as important and world shattering as foam is, 
Um, I, I really think it's not quite at the level of what was going on in the 1800s. So it really is, it's, it's a fascinating draw for me from so many perspectives. Yet there is that side, that, that dark side to the Victorian era that makes me wonder, um, probably just want to be a quick tourist and not stay for too long. Yeah, I think you've talked, you've <laughs> kind of talked yourself out of it as you're, you're walking yeah. through it. And, you know, don't sell foam short, Denon. I can't be the one who's got to prop you back up, but foam, foam's pretty important too. Maybe not no, Tesla it is. It, important, but it's important. It is, it is. It clearly explains everything we ever do on the show, so it, it's a great value. And that in and of itself uh, is a benefit to mankind. Uh, what about you, Ben? Is there anything that we didn't talk about that you wanted to get to? Well, first to comment a little bit on Den, and I think we, we do have to appreciate the invention of the closed sewer. Uh, that that is that is, was truly an amazing uh, improvement to all of our lives. And unfortunately, I don't think Victorian England quite had the full fully enclosed sewer going on yet. Um, but the, the other thing I really got to give credit to uh, Penance for is inventing the slap bracelet. We see these slap cuffs that she uses to. Uh, capture a guy, you know, early on to, you know, cuff his hands. And, you know, who who knew that, you know, hundreds of years in the past, someone had already invented the novelty slap bracelet that we have all grew up with and love. <laughs> well, it tells you j just how useful the slap bracelet is. We, you know, we pass it off as some kind of fad, but clearly... Uh, either in the past or in the future, we're not. It's not living up to its full potential, guys. And I think that that no. that's a crime. That I mean, that that's a modern crime. Uh, well, the thing I wanted to mention that we didn't quite get to is the personal wax recorder that Penance has underneath her skirt, uh, which I think once again breaks and and almost catches fire, which would have you know set off her her dress into, into a thing of flames. But I love that it's a, a a wax cylinder that she's using to record because that was the cutting edge technology at the time. Uh, um, which, you know, uh, that that existed for so long, but it's just funny to think, you know, through miniaturization, you know, we have, a, a, you know, these small little devices that we use to record. And, you know, I can keep our entire show uh, on an, on ones and zeros on a small little hard drive. But way back then, you had to have a big clunky needle carving into actual wax to record someone. Could you imagine if our shows were on wax recording and people had to go out and buy them? Uh, it, no one would listen. But, you know, considering there are people who listen, let's get back to our social media. We're on Twitter at FGGBTPod. We're on Facebook at FGGBT. But if you want to get in touch with us individually, it's easy to do. We are easy to get a hold of. Denon, where can people find you? Well, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram. Just flip my name. It's at Den and Michael. And on Facebook, stick in the prof at Prof Den and Michael. Ben, where can people find you? You can find me on all the social media networks at B Seepser. How do you spell that? You spell that B S I E P S E R. And I can be found on Twitter at Daniel J. Glenn, on Instagram at The Daniel J. Glenn, and on Facebook at analytical mastermind and of course if you want to send us a question correspondence general question you can do that not quite victorian era technology um but not exactly modern technology it's called email it's about 30 years old and our email address is questions at f and while you listen to us on your favorite podcast platform make sure to rate and review and double check that you're subscribed so you never miss an episode and if you're watching us on YouTube, hit that like button, subscribe, and ring the bell so you never miss an episode. And of course, this show contains powerful scientific information that can be misused by those hell-bent on world domination. Remember, you don't want to do that. You want to be a superhero, not a supervillain. So until next time, thank you for listening.
Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies is a Glencoe production and is produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and Paul Springers with music and sound design written and performed by Paul Springers. Now, of course, if you're listening to this episode and you've gotten this far, you're going to want to subscribe. Well, how do you do that? We're on all the major podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Spotify. But if you're not already subscribed to those platforms, I made it easy for you. Go to our website, ftriplegbt.com. You'll find links to those subscribe buttons and also links to our social media, both for the show and for our individual experts, the members of the Brain Trust. That's all right there ftriplegbt.com. And before you leave, don't forget to check out our other episodes. You can find the link at the top of the page for everything we've got, and you'll notice that we've got both a YouTube version and an audio-only version, depending on what you like. We got it for you, and if you do like those videos, you can go ahead and subscribe to those as well. We're on youtube.com backslash Daniel J. Glenn. And once again, if you like this show, you're going to like everything that I do. Go to danieljglenn.com to find out more. Thank you for listening.